Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. College programs must be competitive in name, image, and likeness. It impacts current athletes and affects the decisions of recruits. And Gator fans can put UF at the forefront of NIL. The Gator Collective is leading the charge, uniting fans and student athletes like never before. Commit for exclusive content, interactions, and events which bring you closer than ever to your favorite players. Also, by joining the Gator Collective, you're empowering these student athletes to build relationships and develop skills that go far beyond just making money. You're providing an avenue for these Gators to excel in life. NIL will change the landscape of college sports, and we can't be left behind. In this talent acquisition business, NIL will play a huge role in Florida returning to the elite status in college football. Gator Nation, do your part by joining the Gator Collective today. Want more Gators Breakdown? Join Gators Breakdown Plus. Starting at $3 a month, get access to unique episodes, plus a blog, chat room, giveaways, shoutouts, and more. Gators Breakdown Plus is furthering the interaction with fans and listeners like you. Head to gatorsbreakdown.supportingcast.fm to join Gators Breakdown Plus today. Gators Breakdown. Because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. The Gators Breakdown Podcast is ready to go. I'm your host, David Waters, and you can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC with spring practice starting next week. No better time to go through the roster and to help me do it all. Man, full house right here. Co-host Will Miles. You can find him at readreaction.com. And also Nick Newton. Find him at readandreaction.com as well. Gentlemen, thanks for joining me, Will. Uh, of course, every week here on Gators Breakdown, Nick joined us a good bit last year uh, as well, kind of doing this similar layout here of going through the roster. We did it a lot earlier last year, uh, kind of going through the roster after the season, but with all the transition going on in Gator Nation right now, I thought it was best if we kind of just Hit this right before spring practice with all the, the transition and learning about Napier's offense and learning about Tony's defense. And now we have some players to talk about with spring practice next week. So we'll start with you, man, but uh, a lot of good stuff coming up. Yeah, I can't believe spring practice is already here. Like, it's, it's hard to believe, you know, with the COVID year and all that sort of stuff, the Bulls all got over early and then you had February signing day and then, you know, it, it, 
there wasn't a spring game last year. And so this year, you know, the last two years really. And so, you know, to, to have that anticipation for something coming up in April, but also having the transition over to Napier's staff, it just feels different this year for a lot of different reasons. But one of them is it's just sort of like a return to normalcy. And, and it's, it's hard to believe that we're just a week out from spring practice and we're going to start getting some answers, you know, nothing concrete, obviously. And even after fall camp, you don't get a lot of concrete answers, but we're getting some answers, going to get some idea of how Napier run things, runs things. And so, uh, you know, it's an exciting time to be a Gator fan because there's hope for the future based on what the staff's doing, both in the recruiting trail and then also sort of the plan that Billy Napier's laid out there for how these players are going to develop. Nick, yeah. I'm gonna, Nick, I'm going to transition to you. Right quick before you jump in, though, we're going to learn a lot about this team coming up, but if everybody knows you've been, you know, teaming up where at Read Reaction with Will. So first, what have you learned about podcasting with Will? Because I've done it for a couple of years now. So what's been, what's been, what's been like uh, their podcasting with Will week in and week out? Podcasting with Will, you can you, you just set them up and let it, you let them rip. You just let them go. <laughs> you let you let shooters shoot, Dave. That's the easiest way go. to say it. Will, <laughs> Will has no problem filling time. He'll, he'll get it done. You just set the man up for his shot. You kick him out for the open three and he'll take care of business for you. But that's, I, a re- that's a really polite way of calling me, uh, uh, of calling me like, you know, one of LeBron's sidekicks or something. He's kicking out for the three, man. That's, that's good. Hey, man, you'll take care of it. You'll take care of it. But I, I was going to say, I think it feels like that March has crept up on us because we've just had a steady drip of information throughout this offseason where it's just when has there been a week where there hasn't been some type of significant news this offseason, Dave? Yeah, I mean, through Billy Napier's phases that he goes through. So it seems like when it is ready to slow down, nope, here's the next phase. So we're mm-hmm. going from, you know, now uh, the, the spring practice phase uh, coming up, coming off the identity phase uh, for the team, spring practice coming up. Uh, spring break is this week for the players. They'll come back in full force next week uh, to hit, hit spring practice. But, yeah, Nick, you're right. I mean, we wanted to learn a whole lot about – the staff anyway. So we've done our all, all done our research there in the last couple of weeks. We've been looking at the offense and the defense. Uh, but now the reason I wanted to do those first is how are these players going to fit into those systems? So we probably could have reversed it a bit too, but I thought it was better to get an idea and a sense of what these coaches do before we talk about how these players can fit in there. Yeah, it's, it's exciting, right? I mean, you sit here and you, there are guys who've been recruited by Billy Napier. So the question is, how do those guys fit? Um, I think there's a lot of a lot of anticipation for guys that we haven't seen under Dan Mullen, but we had gotten excited about maybe two years ago or even three years ago, where you're sitting there looking at guys like, you know, like Lorenzo Lingard. You're looking at guys like Demarcus Bowman. And I think last year we thought we were going to see a lot of them, and then we didn't. And so there's there's a little bit of a muting in terms of the anticipation there. But I, those guys are still skilled guys. And so the question is, what's Billy Napier going to be able to do with those guys as he works in the guys that, that he's brought in as well? So it, it's, it's an exciting time to be a Gator fan. It's exciting to sort of look at how Billy Napier is going to put together some of these puzzle pieces. And then it's exciting as well because there is a sense of urgency, right? I mean, the season starts with Utah and Kentucky. So you're not starting out with East Tennessee State and the Citadel in the first two games of the year. It's it's possible if things go poorly, you're 0-2 after the first two weeks, but it's possible you set yourself up for a really successful season if you're 2-0 after those first two weeks as well. So the sense of urgency – coming into the season along with all of the change and how do the puzzle pieces fit together, I think really does lead to an excite, an excitement factor that we haven't really had probably since 2018, really, when you think about it. And 
that 2018 season started with a couple of cupcakes for Dan Mullen. I, maybe it's more like 2017 when Michigan was on the horizon and we were getting excited about that, but then obviously everything fell apart. So hopefully that's not the way 2022 <laughs> looks. But uh, but those opening games are fun, right? And it leads to a different feeling when it comes to spring and fall because there's a different sense of urgency. you got to get it going right away. Absolutely. Plenty to get into. We'll start with offense this week. We'll do defense next week. That's how we'll break this up uh, here as we uh, go through the roster uh, heading into spring practice. Before we get started, hit that like button. Hit that subscribe button if you're watching live on YouTube. Leave your comments. I'll try and put throw some comments in there uh, as well live here on the episode. Also, uh, if you're watching when it's not live, throw those comments in there. Uh, and also, find us at news4jack.com slash gators breakdown all right guys of course no surprise we'll start at the quarterback position headline there of course there's there's your names you choose from if you're watching the youtube version anthony richardson emory jones jack miller carlos del rio wilson and jalen kitna we could probably start with the question of how healthy is anthony richardson uh and asking around and asking people close to him asking people close to the program he should be a go for spring practice Probably not 100%, but he'll be able to go through spring, go through a lot of the motions here uh, as he hopefully also gets healthy throughout spring practice. It's still another month before the spring game. You'd like for Anthony Richardson to be out there and taking these reps and, uh, and getting involved with the players, getting involved in the scheme. Uh, but, you know, of course, there is just that lingering question of how healthy can he be, how how can he stay healthy all at the same time uh, there for Anthony Richardson? So with that, of course, more eyes on Emory Jones, him coming back, all the transfer rumors of him maybe transferring as in between the last game of the season and in between the bowl game, you know, there, there were reports. Emory Jones is going to transfer from the University of Florida. At one point, that was the plan to leave the University of Florida. Emory Jones comes back here. We'll go through spring, uh, maybe see where he's at. Uh, maybe it's just a finished school here. We get his degree at Florida. But I do think, you know, for him, go through spring, see where you're at. And then, look, he likes the University of Florida. He loves the University of Florida. That's part of the equation here uh, for Emory Jones as well. Uh, Jack Miller, bring him in from Ohio State. Can he push uh, for, for the job here in the spring? You go back, if you want a whole lot of looking at Jack Miller, we discussed it, but go back to about a year ago, him playing in the Ohio State spring game. You can get a good feel uh, for what Jack Miller brought to the table for Ohio State at that time. And then Carlos Del Rio, Wilson, Jalen Kitna battling, battling out as well. So, guys, a number of quarterbacks Florida will come in to spring practice with. You have to think if one guy is not – blocking where he's at on the depth chart, transfer candidates here. Florida needs – look, there's one thing we probably need to get out of the way also when we go into this. Florida needs to make some room on the roster after spring practice to get below uh, or get to that 85 number when they head to fall camp. You can take as many as you want to going into spring football, but you got to be at that 85 limit when you get to fall. So you're also going to start looking at some transfer candidates, and quarterback's going to be one of those. Emory Jones, Carlos Del Rio Wilson, Jalen Kitna have to be transfer candidates if those guys don't like where they are at on the depth chart. So, guys, the biggest question, of course, involves Anthony Richardson's health and how much he can be involved. And I think Richardson, it, it's interesting. I, somebody asked me a question the other day, like how, where do I think Anthony Richardson ranks in terms of SEC quarterbacks who are returning? And I, and I thought about that a little bit. And, hmm. you know, obviously Bryce Young, you know, Heisman Trophy winner, certainly behind him. Um, I think Stetson Bennett, you would put in front of him, though not a whole lot in front of him, really. I think he played really well. 
but also had some limitations. Hendon Hooker at Tennessee, maybe. K.J. Yeah. Jefferson, maybe. And then you start looking at Brady Cook at Missouri, Miles Brennan or Jaden Daniels at LSU, Will Levis at Kentucky, Max Johnson at Texas A&M, Will Rogers at Mississippi State, Jackson Dart at Mississippi, the transfer from USC. And then you got T.J. Finley at Auburn and Mike Ryder, Ken Seals at Vanderbilt. So I think you can legitimately say that just from throwing the ball, based on what we've seen from Anthony Richardson, he's probably the fifth-best quarterback in the SEC. Now, you might be able to say that about Emory Jones. You might be able to say that about Jack Miller as well. Um, but the, the dynamic that Richardson brings, obviously, is on the ground. And that's one of the reasons why I think missing spring practice, or at least missing you know, the – the live reps may not be critical for, for Anthony Richardson because, you know, at the end of the day, the mental reps may be more important than anything when it comes to this sort of stuff. Um, you don't want him taking off and running. You want him taking care of his body, and you're going to need him to be healthy for all 13 games of the of the regular season if you want to get to where you want to go this year. And I think Richardson has the ability to do that. I mean, again, I think K.J. Jefferson is probably a good comparison. He averaged four and a half or five yards per rush last year, had a QB rating of 155. If that's something Anthony Richardson can – Anthony Richardson can replicate, then Florida's going to be in pretty good position. As far as guys transferring out, you know, the one thing that you're that you're missing in that spring roster is Max Brown coming in too, right? So it's not just the five guys who are sitting in the room right now, but you've got a freshman coming in as well. Six guys in that room isn't going to happen. And so I think that's one of the things that we're probably looking for this spring is who's going to go. And it might be Emory Jones. It might be Del Rio Wilson. It might be Jalen Kitna. Um, you know, but I think we're pretty solid that Richardson and Miller are going to be there and Brown's going to be there. And, you know, most of the time you don't need more than three or four scholarship quarterbacks. So it, it's not even maybe just a matter of one guy leaving. It might be multiple guys who leave depending upon the scholarship numbers and depending upon the playing time that's available. Nick, and watching Napier's offense and what the offense he brings to the table, anything catch your eye there as far as maybe what he's asking quarterbacks to do as we also, I mean, look, there's also good, there's an install that has to happen here. We've everything now, you know, you've just started meeting with coaches in this identity phase and getting an idea of what they want, what they're looking for, getting the relationships built with them. But now you finally hit the field. There's an install phase that's got to happen right here, not right now. Yeah, absolutely. And that's why I, I do think that Anthony Richardson is our hope for having a big season, a big bounce back in 2022. He was our hope last year. We did a lot of talk about Anthony Richardson last <laughs> year. Didn't quite pan out. Uh, I, I've been on a big-time campaign to stop the backflips before the games. If you get injured while you're dancing, you're officially old. You're a little bit old, okay? You got you to gotta take it easy on the backflips before the games. But in all seriousness, Richardson, if he can stay healthy, I think that's the number one question for this team is – Will Richardson stay healthy? Like how how he develops, he's obviously got to be on the field to develop, right? So keeping him healthy is going to be the number one thing for this team heading into 2022. Um, you know, I, I almost think the interesting question is it, it, it is a little bit of an assumption that Emory Jones is sticking around for spring, might see where things evolve. You're seeing the situation pan out. Will and I talked about it last week on Stand Up and Holler. You're seeing the situation pan out at Arizona State or Jane Daniels enters the transfer portal late. You might see more situations like that after spring ball where there's more opportunities for Emory Jones where he can have his choice of, of, of landing spots if it doesn't work out here at Florida, which I think – as, as someone who sat through the Gasparilla Bowl, it, with all due respect to Emory Jones, I, I, I think he's given his heart to this university. He's done a great job. But, like, I think most Gator fans would be happy to see him move forward and uh, get an opportunity to start somewhere next year and that Anthony Richardson is going to be the guy. Now, 
the question that I would really have looking forward, assuming that is the path that, that happens where Emory Jones is out the door in the transfer portal, how many games, what's the over under on the amount of games that Jack Miller will start in 2022, whether just, I, I, cause again, I think the question around Richardson's health is a big deal. You talk about Napier's offense. though, Dave, you didn't see Levi Lewis, who was his quarterback during his time at Louisiana. You didn't see him run a whole lot. He ran a hundred total times last season. And that was his, by far the most he had run under Napier uh, in terms of rushing attempts. So there's a little bit of a rushing Nick, element. Nick, you read, you read my mind. I just pulled it up. So here we go. I was going to get that's where I was going. So before we go there, yeah, then I'll let you continue. So yep. he did uh, in 20. Let's just go 2019 because that's when he pretty much took over as starter. Attempts, he had 69 rushing attempts, 55 mm -hmm. in 2020, and as you said, 100 last year. So it did go up last year, but still, in the grand scheme of things, not a whole not, lot. And not compared to what Dan Mullen would ask of a running right. quarterback, yeah. right? So yeah. Dan Mullen, you're looking at the uh, the quarterback's almost another weapon, and we saw that. I mean, how many games with Tebow did we say, this guy carried the ball 25, 30 times? Of course, Tebow's a freak. Uh, Anthony Richardson's got that freakish capability, you would think. And even last year in his limited playing time, he had 51 carries. Of course, that was his major role last year. But I think with Richardson, if you, I, I think he won't be. You're you're going to look at maybe like a five to ten carries per game type of situation, and not have that be the driving factor of the offense like it's been under Mullen. So my my question for you guys is. Over or under number, uh, what's that number we should set at Jack Miller, the number of games Jack Miller starts next year? I mean, if I'm going positive Anthony Richardson here, I'm saying he doesn't start any. But also yeah. that's a lot of – I'm hoping the knee surgery fixes a lot of the problems, but he also had a shoulder, a shoulder injury dating back to high school. Uh, and I, I do think some of the injuries that he – like the hamstring and stuff – could have been connected to the knee surgery he could that he should have got cleaned up in high school he finally got it cleaned up after the season this past year hopefully that does you know fix some other things where he's just not compensating for and other injuries happen uh but you know given history you'd probably say jack miller or whoever quarterback number two is whoever wins that quarterback number two job if history's in the indication then yeah you're probably going to look at another quarterback oh. starting over under uh, over uh, under one and a half games. Jack Miller starts next year. I would I would have put it at two and a half because um, I think that's probably reasonable. And 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 one of the reasons I say that is Anthony Richardson is going to run the ball. I mean mm -hmm. Levi Lewis averaged three point eight yards per rush in his time at Louisiana and ran for over a thousand yards. So he ran a ton and just barely averaged. You know that's Felipe Frank's running is averaging 3.8 yards per rush. <laughs> Anthony Richardson's averaged eight yards per carry as, as a guy who for the most part, the defense has suspected and known he's going to be running the ball. And so, yeah, you'll get the three yard run and the four yard run, but then you get the 28 yard run and then you get the 75 yard run. And those are too explosive to give up, which is one of the reasons why you bring in a guy like Jack Miller, because Miller is not a guy who you look at and say, he's going to come in and demand to be a starter day one. In fact, he knew when he transferred in that he was going to be playing behind Anthony Richardson and that that might be his shot as if Richardson happens to get injured. At the same time, it frees you up to be able to make the play calls you need to, you need to make in order to win the game. Look, against Utah, if you got to run the ball 25 times with Anthony Richardson to win, you run the ball 25 times with Anthony Richardson to win. I mean, that's 
the the reality is is that if you're going to sit there and be worried about people getting hurt, that's when people get hurt. And you can't. I mean, you know, again, he breaks an 80 yard run and pulls his hamstring like that. That never happens, right? So that's kind of a freak injury. He got injured against LSU when he when he dropped back, right? I mean, the, he dropped back. He got sacked, gets knocked down. I mean, there it was one where he was trying to sort of. Uh, hold on you know they were trying to strip the ball and that hurts his finger and then comes back into the game after that one um you know gets a concussion in in the game against georgia i think right that was that was what knocked him out of that one so you start looking at sort of the way those things are 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 moving i I don't know necessarily that it's the running that's necessarily putting him at risk any more than dropping back and getting hit so i think you still want him to run the ball i think you maybe i mean there are times where you say hey we'd like you to slide instead of taking a hit but that's that is a huge differentiator for anthony richardson so to take away that differentiator is just stupid at that point you might as well just start jack miller because you know you're taking away the thing one of the things that makes anthony richardson really special there's a difference between taking away and being overly reliant upon it and that that's i guess that's the distinction i'm trying to make with what it seems like billy napier he doesn't ask the quarterback to necessarily tuck it and run it, you know, 18 to 20 times a game. That's not doesn't necessarily seem to be the game plan out the shoot. No, I mean, I think that's true. I mean, I, I think Billy Napier would have given the ball to Damian Pierce a lot more last year, right? And, would, <laughs> and, would, and would, have, would have relied on those guys in the running back position. But it's also completely different. And we'll talk about this, but it's also a completely different offensive scheme in terms of the way the offensive line blocks, those yeah. wide zone plays, play action. And those types of things – Really, when you look at it, the half field reads where they've got flood concepts where you've got three different levels of receiver and the quarterback's picking one of them, he's not shifting from the right hand side of the field to the left hand side of the field trying to figure out, you know, trying to read the defense. It's, it's one, two, you know, you get back in your drop, you hit, you read which guy's open, which level's open, you make that throw. If it's not open, you throw it away or you run. But the, the running is limited because the hope is is that the concepts open things up and and if the concept doesn't open things up then there should be a guy open on the backside. so those are the things i think that the study and the slowing down of the game for anthony richardson is going to help and spring wraps i don't know necessarily slow things down i think the thing understanding the offense slows things down i mean even if you think about it and this is a really rudimentary way of thinking about it but if you think about like when you play madden right like if you pick a play, you kind of pick what the when you're first starting to play, you pick like the primary receiver. You go, okay, I want that guy on the post. That's what I'm gonna aim for. And if you haven't played very much, you don't really know where the rest of the receivers are going to be. And so, um, you know, I think that's kind of what happens in many cases with new offenses is you don't necessarily know where your secondary and your tertiary read is going to be. And that'll be the trick, or that'll be the that'll be the thing we need to look for is is Anthony Richardson, or or is Jack Miller able to go through his progressions, figure out those reads, and and stay in the pocket? Because you only want to bail when you've when you have to. But to your point, Nick, I mean, I I, I think he's going to try to protect him as best he can, but I don't think you can be completely protective of him. You have to use it; it's a huge weapon. Mm-hmm. Here's 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 very interesting stat here. Looking at this, so in 2019, Levi Lewis had 69 attempts. He averaged 2.8 yards a carry. In 2020, he had 55 attempts, 6.1 yards a carry. And then last year, 100 attempts, 3.4 yards a carry. So his yards per carry were much higher in 2020 when he had the least amount of carries that he had as a full-time starter, but only 55 carries and averaged 6.1 yards in, in 2020. So interesting there that uh, the, it, it, you know, the, the correlation of less carries, but – way higher yards per carry uh, when you go look at 2020. 
Guys, I think, you know, before we move on uh, here from quarterback, we could probably spend the whole hour here right? <laughs> talking about the quarterback. Uh, but is whoever lines up behind center, the offense will probably look a little different because of who it is. I mean, AR and what he brings to the table and what we're, you know, t- talking about here or and, and or Emory Jones, maybe you can run the quarterback a bit more than you can with probably Jack Miller. I mean, he's got some – he's athletic. He can run too. But you're not asking him to do the same things that I think you would ask Anthony Richardson and Emory Jones to do in the same case as Del Rio and Kitna as well. So whoever is behind center, the offense can change a little bit with the type of quarterback that's behind center. So, uh, guys, quick question, kind of more yes or no. Don't go too long on it. Can Jack Miller push? Can Emory improve? I'm I'm gonna go no no to Miller pushing for a real threat to start, and uh, of course Emory can improve. Yes. So I think yes, I think Jack Miller will be able to push him. Um, I think he'll make everybody better having somebody back there who's Napier's handpicked guy. And then yeah, absolutely, Emory's going to improve. Things are going to slow down. Whether that's good enough is a different question. But yeah, absolutely, he'll improve. All right, good stuff there, quarterback. Like I said, we could we could even go deeper into all those questions I just asked right there. Uh, but for sake of time, let's move forward and move. And I saw the chat already talking about running back, and this one this one's interesting here because there's your names, Naquan Wright. I started with him. The most experienced back Florida has will be very very limited. I'd be surprised if he takes any snaps at all coming up this spring and uh, you know, we've, we've discussed that uh, and him coming off that injury that he suffered versus FSU. Uh, and at the time when that was happening and then going through recruiting and going through who would still be on this roster when spring comes around, you were only at the time looking at Demarcus Bowman and Lorenzo Lingard because Florida had not brought in Montreal Johnson yet. And I kept looking up, I could, I kept looking ahead to spring saying, Florida cannot go into spring with just Demarcus Bowman and Lorenzo Lingard at running back. Of course, you know, you get some more guys in the fall. But going through spring, you didn't want Bowman. You didn't want Lingard taking the bulk of the carries, one, because you need to keep those guys healthy even though it is spring. But also, I mean, you needed some more backs here. And and Florida brings in Louisiana transfer, Montreal Johnson, and that changes things. You know, not just any transfer. This is the transfer from Louisiana, a transfer that has a rapport with Billy Napier. They know each other. They have a, they have a relationship. So, of course, there's two ways to look at this. Right being out and the way we looked at it originally definitely opens the door even more for Bowman and Lingard. But now bringing Johnson in, he should have a leg up ahead of those two guys with his previous relationship there at Louisiana with Billy Napier. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Yeah, I mean, I think, so I think Wright is somebody who has shown some promise. 
But when you look at the overall stats, the production hasn't necessarily been there. You know, average 4.3 yards per rush. He averaged 12.8 receiving. That's really where he was a bigger threat when you think about the running backs and and where they contributed the, the most often. Again, if you go to Montreal Johnson, you know, he's aver- he averaged 5.2 yards per rush on 162 carries versus 76 for Naquan Wright. So the point you made about Levi Lewis having being more efficient with less carries isn't something that necessarily transferred. Now, the one thing I will say is <laughs> that Montreal Montreal Johnson only had six receptions. And so that is a place where I think um, guys like DeMarcus Bowman and Lorenzo Lingard can also differentiate themselves if they can show they can catch the ball to the backfield. I think the big thing is, is, you know, I remember back when Jordan Scarlett wasn't playing very much and people were questioning Jim McElwain and Doug Nussmeyer, which believe me, I think um, <laughs> there's plenty of questioning that needs to be made of those guys. But the reason that they weren't um, playing Jordan Scarlett was because of some deficiencies in pass protection, not necessarily his inability to run the ball. And that, to me, is where Montrell Johnson is going to have a real leg up on Bowman and Lingard and Wright as well. Is that you know he's going to know what the pass, he's going to know what the protection calls are, he's going to know how to pick up the blitz, and he's going to have Napier's trust to be able to do that sort of stuff. The other thing is, and again, I know we won't. This won't happen during spring, but but Trevor Etienne is going to get a look here, right? I mean, he's he's uh-huh. a recruit that Napier had had been looking at when he was at Louisiana. Didn't really have a shot at him at Louisiana. Gets to Florida, all of a sudden is able to convince him to come over. Running back's a pretty easy position to pick up and contribute early if you've got skills. So again, I, I wouldn't necessarily pencil in the guy who's starting after spring. As the starter coming out of fall camp, I think there's going to be an opportunity for these guys to all sort of jockey for position. And remember a year ago, we all thought DeMarcus Bowman was going to come out and potentially be like the the, the main running back for Florida last year. We saw the three guys in front of him and said, yeah, those guys will get some carries, but they got to get the ball to Bowman, right? And then <laughs> they never did. And, and so he didn't become less special over the last year just sitting there i mean you know th- there there is talent there that everybody saw when he was coming out of high school and we'll see whether napier can unleash that because florida needs playmakers on the offensive side of the ball regardless of where they are and so i think bowman's going to get some run even if johnson is the guy who's sort of the the every down contributor they're going to have to find a way to get the ball into marcus bowman's hands nick man i i say bringing in johnson's a great a great move because it gives you somebody right right away who knows the offense. But I'll, I extend that in knowing the offense. I think it helps the whole running back room. I mean, he's, mm-hmm. he's I think you come in and be a great teammate and be in that running back room. He can share his knowledge of the culture and the playbook and the expectations that this offensive staff is now bringing with them from Louisiana. So uh, I think that's another, you know, uh, addition of another positive here of, of bringing Johnson in, but no, yeah, I, I st- even with Johnson and all the familiarity that he has in the offense, the very small carries that we saw Lorenzo Lingard get in the last couple of years, we've seen a different type of speed there. We go back to the recruiting profile of DeMarcus Bowman and some of the speed that we've seen in clips on YouTube or clips on social media and the very small carries he got last year as well. Even with Johnson, the big playability still might be in those other two guys. Yeah, uh, this this room is stacked. This is the one position group on the offense. Every position group you feel like this year has its questions. Like it, it, like are, it could either go really well. There's a wide gap in variance of performance, right? This is the group I feel the best about in terms of each. There's multiple guys that you could throw out there to be the starter where you'd feel good on a given day. So you you mentioned that Johnson 
is is just a sophomore here, but he had more carries last year with 162 carries than Bowman, Lingard, and Wright combined. So when you think about it, if you add that to the fact that it was also a Napier's offense, Montreal Johnson is is arguably the most experienced running back coming into this season for the Gators, uh, which is pretty incredible to think. But you look at, of course, there's been a lot of talk. We don't have to rehash the whole seven carries a game for every single running back uh, with, with, through the Mullen era that people are frustrated with. But I, I'll tell you what. Johnson's a guy that's going to fit right in. I think he's going to get his opportunities early. Napier allowed him to jump right in as a freshman in Louisiana, which tells me that Trevor Etienne, like Will said, is going to get his looks. But the question will be, with this first roster, this is not a roster that Napier fully constructed. So the best coaches, what do they do? They figure out how to use the talent they have. You talk about Lingard having a different burst. Bowman, we barely got to see it. We barely got to see it last year. But if you look at his tape, you just flip on that tape from high school. That's a different looking dude. How can Naquan Wright fit into this backfield? I think if you find different roles for some of these guys, like Wright, I'll tell you what, Wright wasn't just that running back in the backfield. He didn't have a ton of catches last year, but you saw a couple of key moments. Uh, The Kentucky game sticks in my mind where he had a critical third down reception uh in that kentucky game that he just he can catch it down the field too he averaged 11.9 yards per reception in 2020 on 19 receptions and 12.7 yards per reception on 14 receptions in in 2021 so that tells me that guy's got some skills down the field that you might be able to take advantage of in in, in a couple different looks to get him onto the field more the other thing too guys when's the last time we've had a truly explosive threat in in the special teams arena in terms of like, I'm talking like I was in school during the Tebow years. I'm talking like that Brandon James level threat on the punt return. Can one of these guys find a role like that? And that's why I think there's a lot of talent in this room. Can we max? Did we maximize the talent last year? No. Can we get closer to maximizing the talent in, the, in this room in 2022? That'll be the big question. Look, I, I do think, you know, everybody wants to, everybody loves the, you know, the passing attacks when you're throwing the ball 40 times a game. Think with the way this roster constructed with this room, what we saw at Louisiana, I think, is what we'll see early. And I think I do think mm-hmm. Billy Napier will eventually transition into more of an offense where he can get the speed of Florida kids. He can recruit better at Florida. I, I do think the offense will change a bit. But what he steps into in year one, I think, is going to remind us of what he did at Louisiana. And you look at last year, Montreal Johnson led the way with 162 carries last year, but they had. Three running backs, all with over 100 carries. Johnson, 162. Chris Smith, 153. Imani Bailey, 102. That's to go along with Levi Lewis's 100 carries uh, right there. So he will spread the ball out as, as well. And I did go look at some history, and this would be something I, I go and when we you know get closer to the season and, and look at. You know, there, there, there were seasons where it was two running backs that separated themselves from everybody else. But last year – you had Johnson and Smith with 162, 153. But then, you know, Imani Bailey with 102. So three guys over 100. But I do wonder, we're sitting here talking about these three guys right now with Johnson, Lingard, Bowman. You have to throw right in there as well. I mean, how many of the guys get over 100 carries is something I think we'll look out forward to getting in the season. But I do think this spring what we'll kind of see is Johnson leading the way 
giving an understanding to these better players and just see what – I think Billy Napier wants to see what kind of explosiveness <laughs> Lorenzo Lingard and Demarcus Bowman because he, he, he hasn't had backs like that at Louisiana. So hopefully, I think spring – hopefully that's our first indication. When we get to that spring game, when we get the 15 minutes of open practice that we get uh, th- th- through spring, we won't be able to gleam too much of that. But when we get to that spring game, I think we all would like to see one of those 67-yard runs from a running back. Well, I mean, look, the idea that Napier's not going to know how to use a running back based on his history, but also (laughs) based on the fact that the dude spent four years at Alabama and before that was at Clemson under Tommy Bowden when they were building. Um, I think he's going to understand how to use a running back, especially considering (laughs) that he seems to like the 55-45 split when it comes to run plays, pass plays, and and that sort of stuff. So I'm not worried about the running back room at all. Um, I, I think you look at the... This happens every year, right? Unless you have some stud coming back that you can just rely on. Like, you know, Adrian Peterson has his freshman year at Oklahoma. and Oh, he's coming back as a sophomore. Okay, well, we're going to be fine there. At the end of the day, at running back especially, that's one of those where you just sort of have to look at talent profile and say, do I feel good about it or do I not feel good about it? And I look at the level of talent that they have in the room and I say, I feel really good about who they have. And I feel really good that this staff is going to find a way to get these guys the ball in, in areas where they can succeed. And you think about the way the offense ran last year with those read options, with the quarterback sort of being the focal point of the running game, that meant having a solid bruising running back made a whole bit, a whole lot of difference because you needed to get that four yards or that five yards when you did decide to hand the ball off. In this in this offense where they're running those, those wide zone stretch plays where you need the guy to put his foot in the ground, find the crease, and go, like those are the kinds of things that could turn into really, really big-time plays. And a guy like Bowman or a guy like Lingard who have really good straight-line speed, and even Montreal Johnson to some to some degree, those mm-hmm. guys with big-time big straight-time speed, big time straight line speed are going to be able to take advantage of that change in the scheme and probably be even better than they would have in the previous administration's offense. All right, Nick, we'll go and move toward – the next grouping and somebody or the grouping that will go a long way in helping these running backs. And that is the offensive line. And I'll tell you what, I mean, far fetched to say they actually could be a strength. I mean, I know after the last couple of years, the last few years, maybe that might be ridiculous to say we, we will have to see it. Of course. I mean, but if we're going to, preview spring a bit and maybe even step out on a limb a little bit and maybe something we can see, maybe a bit of a surprise is it might be this offensive line. So, you know, there's, there's your names right there. Uh, if you want to go, go through a uh, list, list of names there, of course, you know, but the biggest question after getting Torrance and inserting him, he's the main cog of this offensive line already mm-hmm. with the familiarity of the offense with the high, transfer recruiting profile that he was bringing in. Every big school was after him. He could have went to the NFL he want, if he wanted to. Biggest question after getting Torrance, of course, is building depth. Uh, and staff, from everything that I've heard, I've just been told this information just shared to me, staff thinks really highly of Richard Garage so far from what I've been told. So what can he bring to the table? All the experience he brings there at left tackle. Can White, Ethan White, stay healthy? And that's part of keeping your best five on the field. I mean, you, you start being able to keep Richard Garage at left tackle, Torrance at right guard, Ethan White at left guard. I love what I saw from Kingsley Egwakon last year as a first-year starter at the center position. 
Josh Braun, his recruiting profile. You hope that translates to probably right tackle there. That's a pretty good starting five, I, I think, there for Florida. And, you know, and, and going back to Ethan White, a huge part of the offensive line taking off last year at the beginning of the season. But the combo of him getting injured, defense has started stacking the box, figuring out what Florida wanted to do on the offense, you know, hampered the run game a bit, along with the stats and ability to just stick with the run game. Uh, but you know, clearly part of the best five. That need to be Richard Garage at left tackle, White at left guard, Egwakon at center, Torrance at right guard, Braun at right tackle. Pretty good starting five, but can they build depth with Tarquin and Leonard, who got some experience last year? They played some last year. They had to. With As I said, the injuries that kind of piled up for Florida last year. Stuart Reese got hurt. Gene Lance was injured. Ethan White was injured. You had to shuffle. You had to play some guys, probably even out of position a bit, last year along the offensive line. But started so well last year. But those are – I just – Listed about seven names there. Then you look at the graphic on YouTube. There's a lot of guys that we're, we need to hear from this spring. What younger players this spring out of keep throwing Michael Tarquin in there who maybe hopefully can push Josh Braun for a starting spot. Richard Leonard, Austin Barber, Cameron Waits, the big transfer from Louisiana. How does he fit into you – know, he hasn't played a lot of football, but has that frame that you just got to find a way to get on the offensive line if you can develop him fast enough. Yusuf McGarble, who was one of the highest-rated offensive line recruits from the last staff, Jake Slaughter as well. Those names that we haven't heard a whole lot from, Nick, we need to hear from those guys this spring. Yeah, absolutely. You want to see that development. I, I, I do think that this was an interesting unit last year because you look at the Alabama game, for example, and they had a, a couple of stretches in that Alabama game, a couple of those drives where they were pretty solid. They hung right in there, and it was like – it was shaping up to it looked like it was shaping up to be a, a, a stronger unit than it ended up being in 2021 uh the the thing that i can't shake the thing that sticks with me from last season was the inability to adjust in certain situations and i'm thinking of the kentucky game specifically uh i i think that's going to go for whatever reason i don't think the communication was always there last year based on some of the things in the kentucky game is the primary example i can throw out there but what I'm hoping is a little more attention to detail with this line from this coaching staff. You know, they hired a bunch of coaches to focus on this staff. That was a question with the last staff. Will the attention to detail, the little extra attention to detail, maybe simplifying a few things for these guys and the addition of a guy like Osiris Torrance, um, will, will that solidify the unit across the board? And I, I think that's something that is going to be – a major issue for this team going forward, but luckily for, for these guys and they do have, I think what is going to be a great a quarterback in Anthony Richardson and a bunch of strong running backs behind them to block for. So they'll have a lot of talent that they'll be blocking for that. Uh, you know, it works both ways. You need that line to support the off uh, to support the running game. You need strong playmakers to make the line look good sometimes too. And I think that Florida at least has that in the backfield this year. And uh, if this O-line, if they simplify things and clean up some of those mistakes, I think you see a lot different result in 2022. Yeah, well, I, think- I, do, I, I do have hope, you know, with the way they started last year, bringing in, like Nick said, bringing in the two Rob Sell, of course, you know, leading the charge there uh, along, along the offensive line. But man, when you're bringing in two offensive line coach, Stapleton as well, hmm. the way they started last year, seeing what we saw from – that Napier, Sell, Stapleton, all throughout their time at Louisiana. Now you got some NFL experience with Sell coming back from the NFL uh, as well. I think you know, just combining that with 
those starting five, those top seven guys, I mean, I don't want to get too excited because I've been let down a little bit, but they, they showed, a, as Nick said, showed some flashes last year, especially toward the beginning of the season. Yeah, I think this is a work in progress. I think it's going to take some time. Um, I think, obviously, the addition of Osiris Torrance is a pretty big deal. You already mentioned Richard Garage and how everybody feels about him at left tackle. <clears throat> you know, Ethan White and Kingsley Egokin, I think, are okay. I didn't see anything that's like, oh, these guys are superstars, but I didn't see anything that says they're liabilities either. But we got to remember that that Gene DeLance, and I, mean, I was one of the biggest Gene DeLance apologists out there last year, and I thought he played decently. Um, but we got to remember he was beating out all these guys that now we're sitting here going, they're going to play right tackle. And you know, while, yes, they've all had another year of development, and yes, they've got these two offensive line coaches that are going to come in and teach them differently, I do think we need to keep our expectations a little bit tempered there because I don't know who's going to be right tackle. And if you're gonna if you're gonna run any sort of play action offense, and you're gonna plan to run the ball, you're gonna need somebody at right tackle who's pretty effective. And and I haven't seen that yet. So you know, it, it's just like last year where you know you had Stone Forsythe leave and and you had uh, Brett Heggie leave. And you said, hey, who's gonna step up step up on the left hand side of the line? And we had Garage and we had Ethan White step up on that side. Um, you know, Florida's going to need that at right tackle specifically, whether it's Tarquin, whether it's Braun, whether it's somebody else. That right tackle spot is the spot that I look at and say, you know, that's been a weakness for years now <laughs> at, at Florida. And Torrance is a great addition, but he's a guard. And if you bring, if you put him out at tackle, you're now weakening two spots when you have to move mm-hmm. him out to tackle. And so I hope he plays guard, and I hope they find somebody who can play tackle. But if you're going to watch for spring game and offensive line play, I think that's probably where you focus, right, is right tackle. I think we're probably pretty comfortable with the guys who are on the left-hand side. Um, but all the communication, all that sort of stuff that that is important, the stunts and you know making sure that you figure out how you're going to hand guys off and getting to the second level when you're – when you're responsible for a combo block, all those sorts of things are things that very early on in the season Florida was able to do. So I'm confident that they should be able to do those sorts of things. At the same time, this is a very different scheme. And so to think that all the stuff that happened last year is just going to transfer over, mm-hmm. I don't think necessarily true. They they do pull guards and 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 things like that from time to time, but it's not a staple of the offense. Mm-hmm. And Mullins and Mullins' I saw, offense, I, I mean, saw tight ends being pulled more than I did offensive linemen in a lot of the in a lot well, of the things we want. Well, and Mullen would actually pull the guard as a play action. Right, he would pull the guard, and then the guard would drop back in pass protection because they were trying to get the defense to think it was a run, even though it was a pass play. You're not going to see that with Napier, at least not that much. Normally, it's going to be zone blocking schemes with the offensive lineman going straight forward. Now, that does simplify the read, and so maybe that really helps. But it also requires a different kind of athleticism. Like if you remember those old uh, Denver Broncos offensive lines with Terrell Davis, those guys were all like 290, 295 pounds. They were not the 330 or 340-pound road graders that you know you think about like the, with the Hogs, with Washington, and that sort of stuff. And the reason is, is that zone blocking scheme requires some athleticism to get in front of your guy and sort of close him off and prevent him from getting to the sideline. And so it's a different kind of blocking scheme. And if you're going to rely heavily on the run, game the question is going to be which one of these guys is athletic enough to pull off that scheme and then obviously the, the hole at right tackle um delance leaving is is i think it's it's not like i'm sitting here going oh we can't re- replace gene lance but i do think it's important to note when we're thinking about where there's some risk you know, that he was beating out these guys who we're now going to say are going to be penciled in at right at right tackle um you know that 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 gives me some pause 
You're so right, we will, be, we'll be haunted by Gene Delance's absence this year, is what you're saying, Will. That's what Will's saying. That's what Will's that, saying. That is not what I said. <laughs> um, the headline. But we, might be haunted by, we might be haunted by a poor pass protection from the right tackle spot yet again. So. <laughs> we're, we're, we're clipping that. We're not clipping that part. We're clipping a little bit before that. So everybody thinks Will's a yeah, Gene Delance apologist still. That's all right. They think they're from last year anyway. <laughs> Uh, Will's going to have a feature on Gene Delance coming up, by the way. But um... <laughs> now nah, they didn't invite him to the combine. I'm done. <laughs> hey, he was getting some love. Uh, was it Senior Bowl or one of the uh, All Star Bowls there for uh, college players? Um, not, not, um, not. It too wasn't East West, was it? It Did might be East West. It, yeah, it may have been one. One of those. One of those. Triangle. Yeah, what well, I think. I think that's where it was at there. Uh, but yeah, you know, uh, going to Will's point, yeah, right tackles. It, I mean, you can pencil in all the way from left tackle to right guard. You can, and then I'm I'm, I'm hoping Josh Braun is that as that guy at right tackle. Most people think he's a better fit there than where he has has had to play uh, the last couple of years. Whether it just be because of injuries and having to just fill in for a spot, be a body in a spot. Uh, now, hopefully, you know, just starting out spring practice, he gets a start at that right tackle spot, get a lot of. Sp- snaps get a lot of reps at right tackle uh, and hopefully that goes a long way uh, in solidifying that right side of the line all right wide receiver that's where we'll go next there's your names there justin shorter coming back jacob copeland on the way out you know he could have been listed right here uh, in this list of guys at the wide receiver position uh justin shorter very similar stats to jacob copeland last year comes back as the savvy veteran uh of the squad but Who's the playmaker at <laughs> the wide mm-hmm. receiver position? I'm not sure Florida really has one as we – I mean, that's what Florida's going to have to unearth uh, when we go in spring. Do they have a playmaker at the wide receiver position? I think we could probably agree somewhat held back by the quarterback play last year. So we probably – not fair to these guys to say Florida doesn't have a playmaker. I think the spring is to unearth one and, and see and, – and, I don't want to sit here and make the confirmation Florida doesn't have one yet. Maybe they don't. I mean, maybe we go through another spring, we go through another season where Florida doesn't have uh, that playmaker. But I do think there's a couple guys I think we can point out to say, all right, we've seen flashes. You know, uh, Marcus Burke and his very limited catches last year, the big catches down the field. Is he somebody that can do that on a consistent basis? Can Xavier Henderson play up to his recruiting profile? I, you know, I think somebody who played a lot but maybe was held back by the quarterback play last year can treat with him more, stay healthy, and be a more consistent threat on, at, at receiver. Um, Dan Mullen loved Jamarcus Weston. Uh, and ever since the boneheaded play versus Alabama, we didn't get to see him on the field a whole lot. Uh, that was a special teams play, but we didn't get to see him at the wide receiver position a whole lot last year either. I like what I saw from Jacoby on Fagers when he got the ball in his hands last year. Can he be a more consistent threat as well? Dejon Reynolds, somebody on the roster who will go through spring. We didn't get to see a whole lot of Jordan Pouncey, a veteran we haven't got to see a whole lot of either. So, of course, Justin Shorter, come back, will be the one – uh, the, the top receiver there, Xavier Henderson, Trent Riddlemore, probably your top three receivers right there when you look at it. But I'm still waiting to see, still want to see, can Florida unearth a playmaker at this position? Oh, man, they have to. Because <laughs> you look yeah. at it, Justin Shorter had seven explosive plays on 68 targets last year. The next most explosive player in the passing game, Damian Pierce with three. 
when you look at guys who, you know, from, from the standpoint of now you had Copeland at nine, you had gamble at six, but you know, all of a sudden now you've got running backs who are coming in. Keon zipper had three as well. So you've got guys that's essentially where you're at in terms of explosiveness, right? Xavier Henderson mm-hmm. had three, you got Trent Whittemore at two, you got Naquan Wright at two zipper at three, Jaquavian Frazier zero Weston one Burke one, um, you know, Dejan Reynolds didn't have any. Jordan Pouncey didn't have any. You compare that to Kadarius Tony and Kyle Pitts the year before. 17 explosive plays for Kadarius Tony. That was 20% of his targets. 15 explosive plays for Kyle Pitts. That was 23% of his targets. And underrated 10 explosive plays for Trevon Grimes. So 16.7% of his targets. And that was the difference in the offenses from last year to this year. Now, the question I have, and I think this is something that we do need to consider, is how often were those explosive plays left on the field because the there quarterback wasn't able to get the ball there. I mean, there there was a play against Alabama that I diagrammed on our YouTube channel right after the game where there was an open guy and Emory Jones didn't pull the trigger. And then we had the Kentucky game where, you know, Dave, you asked Bullen about uh, Emory going downfield <laughs> and got the, got the stare of death on the Zoom call when you asked the question. And Welcome then we saw – and then, Nick, you all you already mentioned the Gasparilla Bowl that I've already forgotten. But what I don't forget are the guys who were running wide open down the field, and if they'd been hit with the pass, would have been explosive plays in those particular cases. So I get that we haven't seen it. I get that the statistical profile suggests that these guys are not necessarily all that explosive. I get that um, you know we haven't seen anybody who can truly separate. We don't have anyone who can take a bubble screen, bubble screen to the house outside at least no one has shown that yet you know that that play against Miami a few years ago to open up the season where Kadarius Tony takes that that bubble screen and then just like runs through the entire Miami defense we don't have anybody who can do that at least not yet no one who's shown that and I think to believe that Justin Shorter is going to turn to that guy or that Xavier Henderson is going to turn into that guy is probably asking too much which means if you're going to get somebody who's going to produce those explosive plays from the wide receiver position it's going to have to be one of the guys we haven't seen yet so it's going to have to be burke or it's going to have to be reynolds or something like that i think shorter is going to be a pretty good possession receiver you might be able to hit him deep he's a pretty big guy you might be able to throw those back shoulder fades i think you know you start thinking about Zipper, yeah, he's had some explosive plays, but those are kind of things that have been diagrammed for him, not necessarily because he's getting separation. And then really, if you think about the last couple of years, a lot of the explosive plays have come from the running backs on the wheel routes against Georgia. Mm -hmm. And then even if you think about the game against LSU, there were a lot of passes to Damian Pierce in that game from Anthony Richardson where he was sort of going downfield. We saw it against Vandy too where they had the running backs sort of running those, um, you know, I guess – you know, sort of crossing routes that run across the middle that were opening things up. So, um, you know, they're going to have to be a little bit creative. Maybe those big plays are going to have to come from running back. I don't have high hopes for the wide receiver unit. I think this is one place where Florida is really going to struggle. I think getting separation is going to be an issue against better teams. And so, you know, you, you mentioned, Dave, that early in the season you expect to see Florida running the ball. I, I think that's probably going to be a theme all the way throughout the year because I don't see players at I don't see a ton of players at this point who are going to be true difference makers. I think these are going to be guys when you get to third and eight, third and nine, you want to be able to get them the ball at the sticks, be big enough. They can sort of, you know, box people out like a, like a, you know, like a power forward and those sorts of things. The idea that you're going to consistently hit a bunch of deep balls with these guys, I think is probably misguided. Yeah. They are big bodied receivers, Nick. And you hope what Florida does is Florida can run the ball enough and they make the passes easier. And there's a lot of play action to lead the receivers in these one-on-one battles, but will as will said, you know these guys have 
it's up to them now because if Florida runs the ball like we think they can run the ball, there's going to be a lot of one-on-one battles with these receivers. They've got the body size. They've hopefully now can develop the physicality and hopefully maybe unearth the speed that we did see at times last year. The quarterback just for whatever reason wouldn't throw the ball down the field. But I do think a lot of is going to rely on this Florida run game, giving these guys advantageous situations to get open down the field. Yeah, it sounds a lot like last year in some ways, doesn't it? Uh, I, I think after watching the offense in 2022, 2020 is going to feel like it was about 30 years ago after watching how explosive that set of guys was with you know Trash Tony and uh, and Pitts there. Uh, look, I, I think there's some good news. The bad news is what we're touching on. Like I don't know if there's going to be that one elite elite playmaker, but. Justin Shorter, Trent Winnemore, Xavier Henderson right there. That's a makings of a solid unit right there that can at least that'll, – that'll get you through a lot of games. And I, I think when you look at Shorter in particular, you got you would love to see him develop downfield a little bit. He certainly seems capable of it. We missed a couple opportunities with him downfield last year. And if, if something can click with him downfield, that's your candidate to break out and, may, and, and see something. And certainly you would hope – that develops, but again, we've seen two years uh, of contrary evidence there. But I did want to point out he did have 41 receptions for 550 yards last year. But what was interesting with shorter, I think some of his development might have gotten lost because he had last year he posted six games with over 50 yards in receiving, but five of them came in the second half of the season. So as we were completely, the whole program is burning down around him. He quietly had over <laughs> 50 yards against LSU, Georgia, South Carolina, Samford, and UCF. Quiet, that's that's pretty quiet. He had two touchdowns in that LSU game, of course. Six receptions, 113 yards was was the uh, the highlight there. But I just for reference, he only had one game over 50 yards receiving in 2020. So he did develop last year. We did see some development mm-hmm. there, and we did see it in a tough spot. But the the second tier guy there that I listed with Whittemore and Henderson, I want to put those guys in the same category. Can, can Whittemore stay healthy? Whittemore, we need to see him on the field. You feel like look looking at him like he could be that type of slot receiver that is crafty on third downs and, and can figure out like how to find the soft spot in the zone. Henderson seems like he's got the build to get downfield a little more than he does, and it, I'd like to see him a little more uh, in an explosive situation. But in terms of that explosive receiver, that explosive threat you guys are talking about, like Will, it's exactly what Will said. It's got to come from a Western, Frazier's or Burke. Some name we haven't seen yet. Agree, agree. So I think that's uh, the, the big thing we'll look for in spring to see if Florida can develop some kind of downfield threat. And Nick, I, I'm glad you pointed out, you know, Justin Shorter's late season surge because that's that's exactly what it was. You know, we did, we kind of wondered all the season where it was Shorter, uh, and then ended up toward the end of the year. And looking, we had him on that uh, uh, Gator Collective Twitter Spaces uh, a few weeks ago. He says he's all healthy. That scary situation there in the Gasparilla Bowl where the game ended and. Of course, he was down on the field a bit. Says he's all good, ready to go. He'll be there uh, in the spring. So good news there for the Gators. And before we wrap up right here, let's take a look at uh, a tight end position, a, a tight end the position that B- Billy Napier <laughs> will uh, use a whole lot here as we detailed a couple weeks ago. A lot of two tight end sets uh, there for the Gators. Maybe even more than that at, at, at times. But Keon Zipper, Jonathan Odom, Nick Elksness, Gage Wilcox lead the way there for the tight end position. So, uh Will, we detailed the two tight end sets that 
Billy Napier likes to use a, a whole lot. He'll use the H-back slash tight end, more of the pass-catching uh, role tight end, and then another tight end on the end line who can also catch the ball but not as big of a passing or a catching threat as the other tight end when he wants to use two tight ends there. But uh, Keon Zipper, of course, the most experienced tight end, has hit some big plays in his career so far uh, at, at Florida. So I think when you look at this, you know, Keon Zipper kind of tailor-made maybe for that H-back uh, tight end role there. But, you know, who's the other tight end on the field in a lot of these two tight end sets? Is it, is it Nick Elksness who got on the field as a true freshman last year who was garnering rave reviews uh, going back to fall camp last year when we were getting all those reports of fall camp practice and Nick Elksness' name just kept coming up over and over again? Or Jonathan Odom, who's the who, – was also on the field a little bit last year, not a whole lot, uh, but also you know, more that maybe blocker type where you know Florida's going to run the ball. They're going to want a tight end that really blocks well there on that end uh, of the offensive line. So I do think it's you know Keon Zipper and or Nick Elks, just Jonathan Odom there for a lot of these two tight end sets. But for this spring, you know, this is probably Gage Wilcox's chance to maybe use this spring to his ability and the way. We know Billy Napier likes to use tight ends. The number of tight ends he will put on the field, it does give somebody like Gage Wilcox, who maybe got buried a bit last year, for his name to kind of show up this year. But I do like what Florida brings to the tight end position and the way Billy Napier likes to use them. Yeah, well, look, I mean, if you're going to go two tight end sets, then you've just got ones and twos here, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so these guys should get plenty of reps irrespective of uh, – of what's happening in the spring because there's only going to be four of them and they're going to get absolutely plenty of reps. I think, you know, that'll be the interesting thing. I, I, each role, like each position, like the H back versus a true tight end are different positions. And we've seen zipper play that H back before. Um, even his true freshman year, he sort of lined up. There's a fullback quite a bit, or at least, you know, a little bit when Mullen down in the red zone was trying to slip somebody out, those sorts of things. So I suspect we'll see Zipper there. You, know, you mentioned Elksness getting all the publicity last year. Sort of the story of the last year's offseason is all the guys like Bowman and Lingard and, and uh, Elksness getting a bunch of publicity and then not playing during the regular season. So hopefully we'll see some of that coming up. And I'll be interested to see where my guess is, is that Odom's going to be the backup for one of those guys and Wilcox is going to be the backup for the other guy. Mm-hmm. And they'll have an opportunity to make their way on the field you know we napier talked a little bit in in one of his in one of his uh, coach tube talks about ones versus ones and two versus twos i think that might be the thing in that 15 minute session that we'll really be able to glean something from i think we have a pretty good idea of who the starting quarterback is going to be i think we have a pretty good idea of what the running back rotation is going to look like i think we have a pretty good idea of at least who the starting couple of wide receivers are going to be um the issue here is that, again, I, I know you've got Tony Livingston and Hayden Hansen coming in as recruits, mm-hmm. but one of the reasons they got two guys coming in is, like I said, you've only got a first unit and a second unit when you've got – because those are two different positions, right? It, it'd be like yeah. if you had a slot receiver and a wide receiver, you yeah. know, an outside receiver. Those aren't necessarily the same position. The blocking tight end, the inline tight end versus the H-back, those are very different positions, and you only got four guys to cover that. So, again, I think depth is an issue. And when you look at the offense overall, I mean, we already talked about right tackle, and then you talk about the tight ends not necessarily having a ton of depth there, and then you talk about wide receiver not having a ton of depth there. Um, you know, that this is going to be a work in progress as Billy Napier sort of builds this offense. I would not be surprised if the offense struggles pretty early on, or at least is much more reliant on the natural skills of, you know, whether it be Anthony Richardson or whoever else is a quarterback, um, just because it's going to take some time. But this is one of those things that I think in spring practice we'll be able to see. 
right? Because you'll know who's the inline tight end, who's the H-back tight end because of some of the different plays and formations that they're running. And that'll give us a clue as to who's going to play where and who's going to be, um, you know, where each of those guys is going to be utilized. Nick, it's kind of really based on athletic potential here. We got Keon Zipper, who we, we kind of know, but everybody else is really kind of inexperienced if you go along there. So we're hoping the flashes and maybe even the – I mean, look, I, I know the people who were telling me when they were at the, the, the fall practices last year that were closed off. I mean, Elks' name kept coming up by the same person, and then another person <laughs> told me the same thing. So I was really looking forward to seeing Elks just kind of play out there in the season uh, as far as the offense goes. But uh, – you know, maybe he's the guy that can maybe live up to – if we start hearing his name again this spring, that he's the guy I think we can start looking at as that other tight end on the field uh, along, you know, more more the more the, the versatile piece of, of the tight end puzzle. Boy, it would sure relieve some pressure off that wide receiver group too, wouldn't it? If you yeah, could have a, a steady tight end that, that, that could be this that solid contributor. We certainly saw that to an extreme degree with Kyle Pitts. But Keon Zipper – I, I think we all think he's a solid player, but again, one of those things we've seen him play, we kind of know who he is. Uh, you know, it could be a steady contributor, you know, a few catches here and there, but probably not going to be that difference maker overall. So again, once again, another position where you're pointing to about five different guys and say, I hope this guy could step up. I hope that guy could step up. Definitely a lot of inexperience in the position, definitely a position that, uh, Napier seems to prioritize. We saw him bringing in Livingston, uh, Hanson, and uh, boarding him in, yeah. in the offseason here, right? So three guys, that seems to be a priority early on to build up that position. Uh, Gage Wilcox came in as a four-star kid last year, didn't see a ton of playing time as well. So there are plenty of names here to step up. In the end, I have no idea who's going to be that guy, but you definitely think there are there, there's potential there. There's that potential for – plenty of those guys to maybe just one of those guys step up to become a steady contributor that would really help this offense. But I'll tell you, Dave, I, I, I was looking at the Louisiana numbers leading receptions for tight end on the team there last year was 22. Yeah. So I, I don't think this is going to be the massive difference maker. What, what you'd like to see out of the tight end position this year, if you could tell me that you find that red zone threat, yeah. That is a guy that's really steady that you could throw a jump ball to in the back of the end zone or something like that. If we could find that consistent red zone threat, threat that guy on third and four that we could be reliable with uh, in some key situations, uh, that would be that would be a big find for this team this year. Yeah, and Will and I brought it up when we were looking at Napier's offense a bit, and I'll bring it up one more time. I think I brought it up earlier. Is these tight ends and the athleticism and them asking to block and get a run a running start. Uh, them guys, those guys in motion, uh, those guys pulling across the formation too and, and filling in and helping in the run game and, and run blocking uh, as well. I think if I had to break it out, I think you have the Zipperer and Wilcox as your H-back tight ends and Elksness and Odom as your inline tight ends when you have two tight ends on the field. Now, when you only have one, I think according to formation and whatever you want to do on offense, that's kind of how it break out there. Uh, but I think when your two tight ends are on the field, and you know, Will was talking about, well, you really only do have two sets of tight ends here. And I do think if you have a starting H-back and zipper backed up by Wilcox, and then if you have your inline tight end, flip-flop Odom and Elksmith right now, I, I think that's the way it breaks out right now. I do see Wilcox as more that receiving threat at the tight end position. I mean, we'll see, right? I mean, that's that's yeah. the cool part about this about spring <laughs> yeah. practice is oh, we, um, we, know, we talked about that, you know, before this episode started. 
we, we're kind of going by what we saw from last year's Florida team, what we saw from last year's Louisiana team, what we think will happen. There's still a lot of unknown with all the newness and the transition happening. Well, and we also need to remember that everything that comes out of spring practice is lies. <laughs> it's always lies, yes. spring yes. lies, and everything's going to be better than, than we think it is, and everything's going to be worse than we think it is based on who you're talking to and what the messages they're trying to get across. And, you know, I, I don't suspect that in the 15 minutes that everybody's allowed to watch practice that, that there's going to be a whole lot of state secrets that are given out at that point, right? Yep. And, you know, as we get closer and closer to the uh, – to the as we get closer and closer to the regular season of the Utah game, things are going to tighten up, and you know Jack Miller will be announced as the starter, and then Anthony Richardson will run out the first game. You know, I mean, that's just sort of the way it works. Is that uh, we need to take all this stuff with a grain of salt. At the same time, there are roster limitations, right? And there are things that you're going to have to do with the players who have been here, and what we've seen from those players previously really does inform what what's going to happen coming forward. And so, you know, we understand about Justin Shorter, we understand about Keon Zipper to some extent. We have no idea what to expect from Nick El- Nick Elksness. You know, the question is is was was the consistency that was that was boasted about last April was that some you know was that a spring lie or was that something where, you know, just for whatever reason that he wasn't used in the scheme. And if that's the case, we know that Napier is going to find a way to use a good tight end. And so um, I suspect that'll be one of the things that we're going to see in the spring a little bit is I think if you hear that Elksness is playing well again, then that tells you something about, Hey, last year wasn't just complete smoke and mirrors. And if you don't hear anything about Elksness this year during the spring, that probably tells you last year was a little bit of smoke and mirrors. So, you know, we're not going to know everything coming out of the spring, but I think we'll be able to pick up little bits and pieces. And certainly, you know, the people that you trust who reach out to you and likewise for us, you know, give us some tidbits to kind of let us hopefully decipher some of the truth and fiction. Um, But we're not going to know until September 3rd when that ball gets kicked off against Utah, what we really have. Nick, I'll, great- I'll, I'll, I'll learn a lot um, if um, if Chris Dorian catches another touchdown off of the sideline <laughs> in the back of the end zone. <laughs> Don't get That's me started, measure. Dave. Don't get me started. <laughs> That's a good stat right there. Keep that yeah. stat. Yeah. Old, 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 uh, old school Gators breakdown listeners will, uh, will, will remember that. I, I'll tell I'll tell you what. If the one thing I've really enjoyed about the early stages of the Billy Napier era, there just seems to be a level of transparency in, in talking about exactly what the program is doing day to day. But one thing I do feel certain about: there's all these unknowns, all these questions. One thing I do feel certain about is that Billy Napier doesn't strike me as the type of guy who's going to do anything to clarify any of this before that September third date. <laughs> so I think he's going to let all these questions hang. I don't think we're going to hear Anthony Richardson declare the starter. I don't think anything's going to happen before they run out into the field to play Utah on September third. And that is the great part. You know, in credit to Scott Strickland on this uh, scheduling here, I love the fact that we're coming out the gate. We got Utah, Kentucky, and, and Tennessee, three out of the first four games. Like, they, we're not going to settle in and watch, have to project what M- M- Anthony Richardson did against FAU, project that into uh, what SEC play. We're going to get answers right out the gate against the Pac 12 champs. Yeah, I will said they Florida's got to hit the ground running uh, this spring because of you got to hit the ground running during the season with uh, with uh, Utah and Kentucky uh, coming up the first two games. So uh, yeah, um, glad we'll be getting football next week as spring practice starts. Offense right now, defense next week. So we'll, the three of us back together again next week. We'll discuss defense much like we did right here on offense and the, a lot of questions there. No more talking about them. Yeah. 
the Yay. ghost of Todd Grantham, Dave. The ghost, the ghost of Todd of... Grantham. Yay. Not <laughs> see that crap anymore. Uh... <laughs> well, it's a good thing you got everybody fired. Oh, man. <laughs> oh, um, what you guys got coming up uh, this week? Readreaction.com and stand up and holler on uh, YouTube. Yeah, so we're going to be recording a stand-up and holler tomorrow, actually. Um, so Nick has been challenging my ability to sing. That came up in last week's episode. <laughs> so we have a surprise for anybody who, who uh, tunes in till the end of the episode because you will get to hear me sing. And uh, that may be awful. What are or you singing, great. by the way? Oh, but, well, it'll be some Tom Petty, That's man. The, you guys sing, okay. You guys sing some Tom Petty if you're gonna if you're gonna rep the Gators there, man. So we'll we'll see. But anyway, you get the uh, you get the surprise of whether it's good or bad, and I expect Twitter to rip on me quite extensively for that. And then Nick's got something up at the site right now. It's setting expectations for year one of the Napier area era. Um, looking back at sort of the first year coaches at, at Florida and and what's to be expected. And and I'm I'm about to I'm about to drop my annual Mike White evaluation. Um, oh. I don't write about basketball often, but when I do, it's it's uh, it's at the end of the year to evaluate what's going on with the Florida basketball program. And uh, I know the SEC tournament's still coming up, but, uh, but no matter what happens, that's not going to change my opinion of Mike White. So we'll uh, that'll be coming up there some sometime in the next couple of days as well. Nick, I was yes. hoping he would uh, he was going to be singing "Happy Birthday" with a pink birthday cake. Well, but, we, we yeah. want people to come back to the channel eventually. We don't want to <laughs> scar them for life. Uh, I, I I had a throwaway comment in the last episode. We were uh, pointing out the difference in the happy birthday uh, videos to Cormani McLean uh, between FSU and Florida. And FSU, I they posted that hostage video where they're singing happy birthday with yes, Mike Marvell with the cake. Yeah, that's, that's yeah. what I was writing, the, the pink cake that they got on, you know, the out-of-date cake at Publix that you know, yeah. they had to go, we, they had to go we, get. And nobody wants to see that. So we don't want to scare people away. So that's what like, but I, I kind of had a throwaway line that like, Hey, look, not making fun of the singing. Will and I would both be terrible singers. And Will's like, Oh, excuse me. Excuse. So it's become a thing. It's become a thing. And he's, he's dug in and uh, let's just say he won't back down. So he like, we're, uh, I, I've issued a challenge to him and he's, uh, he's to his credit. He's, he's stepping up. I, I, I appreciate it. Will. So we'll see. We'll see if people vote to be, put me on American Idol, or if it uh, turns into a giant catastrophe. It turns into some weird meme that uh, you know just makes it viral. I hope it goes viral. <laughs> I'm sure you do. I'll help. <laughs> by, first of all, by not singing, but I'll, I'll help Sherry. By the way, that's yeah. that's what I meant by that. No backup singing for me. Dave and I would be the backup singers. Yeah, I think that's about <laughs> as good as we're doing there. <laughs> Boy, right, if, you, if you're go. the only backup singers I can afford, I'm in trouble. Yeah. <laughs> I got a good mic. <laughs> yeah, Dave's good. Yeah, All Dave. Right. Dave can be the deep voice on that. He can, he can, he's got that under control. <laughs> there we go. There we go. For Nick Newson, readreaction.com, of course. Will Miles at Read and Reaction as well. Find those five both those guys on Twitter as well. Uh, by the way, head to YouTube. Stand up and holler. Check out that episode this week. But that'll do it here for this episode of Gators Breakdown. I am your host, David Waters. You can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. Guys and girls out there, thanks for listening to this episode of Gators Breakdown.